Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret, never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And in this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by the mind-blowingly brilliant musician and singer-songwriter, Sam Brown. We dive into her amazing career, those incredible albums and singles from her solo back catalogue. We chat about a band I loved called Homespun, plus singing with the likes of Jules Holland, Pink Floyd, George Harrison, Tom Jones, and connections to Mr. Weller through live music and the Studio 150 album that features Sam's fabulous singing on as well. So let's get into it. My guest, Sam Brown. Thanks for joining me. Lovely to be here, Dan. I said to you a moment ago, I'm like a child in a sweet shop. I'm so excited about chatting with you because <laughs> you were one of the people who are on my list from day one. Just because I wanted to chat to you, not even to anything to do with Paul Weller. Oh. I, like, I was like, I've got to sort of Sam Brown. She's fabulous. <laughs> what made you start? This podcast. Um, well, I think lockdown, really. It was something that I was kind of thinking about and talking about for so long about doing a podcast around Paul Weller. And you always need like a creative hook, don't you? You always need an idea. And you all know this more than anybody. You know, writing songs is a similar thing, right? And yep, I came yep. up with the idea of the fact that I never got to interview view him during my radio career and then lockdown happened and it's like well what am I going to do it's either spend more time with the kids or find something else to do so <laughs> started the podcast <laughs> yeah. yeah to be fair I think we all needed a sort of creative something to do in lockdown didn't we yeah not least Mr Weller who wrote a whole album and an extra album in lockdown for us which, uh, which oh, wow. uh, came out as well hey let, let's kick off as this is the Paul Weller fan podcast we'll weave in some of these stories along the way but we should find out when you first discovered the music of Paul Weller well I think probably like many people with the jam as a teenager and I it was an interesting time for me because I started writing when I was 12 13 so I was writing stuff and and listening to Ricky Lee Jones and Randy Newman and Aretha Stevie Wonder you know quite sort of muso type things and my friends were like the clash you know the damned uh, and I was I was a punk but I couldn't bloody stand the music <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like, my best mate is like, she's really, she's very cool, my friend Lou, and uh, she loved it all. And she'd go to gigs and she was totally into the whole thing. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to any gigs, mate. <laughs> like, you know. What do you do um, as a punk who doesn't go to gigs then? <laughs> well, you spike your hair up and use green food coloring in it and things like that, you know, wear bin bags. I think that was the thing. But anyway, but what I was going to say is I think the jam were to me one of the first acts of that era that I just loved. It was very musical. It had a real vibe about it and I really loved it. And, you know, just because I listened to all the singer songwritery stuff doesn't mean I didn't like other types of music. I just loved it. It had such a great energy um, and a great sound to it. Now, you couldn't really escape the music world, given your family, could you? That was always going to be the, the world that you entered into with your dad and your mum and, and their music careers and stuff. So um, so it was a really young age. But there's a lovely link that Paul Weller would really appreciate, I think, if I've got this right. Because am I right in thinking your first audio recording was with the small faces? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, so it would have been nine. I think it was probably 1976 that we recorded it, maybe earlier. Uh, but I think I was 12 or 13. Uh, it came out a bit late. I think it came out in 77. But I remember going to the studio with my mum because uh, the thing was, was I'd known Steve for a long time. My mum and dad knew him and uh, he lived near us in Essex in a place called Bumblebee Cottage with Pam, who was from South. And she used to talk about her bodacious tatas and Pam and you know so there's Pam and Steve and I remember going to parties with my mom and dad in London and people passing me a joint I'm going yeah, no thanks I'm like you know, so. but Steve actually used to come and stay with us a lot I think basically his lifestyle was properly rock and roll and I think my mom and dad were even though they were very into the music business and music they were also quite sort of working class family orientated in a way not so much that they'd actually spend time with their children I hasten to add how However, their setup was that of a family home. We had meals, proper meals at a table, and there weren't sort of drunk and drugged up people everywhere. It was a very, it was quite a straightforward family home in a way. And so I think Steve probably appreciated that. And he used to come and stay with us, perhaps to clean up a little, uh, maybe. And he'd come round and he'd have bacon and eggs and he'd stay for a few days. And then off he'd go again to his studio, you know. So, so I met him then and he actually was really great with me and he took time and we talked and, quite often he'd be there when my mum and dad weren't and we'd chat you know which was really lovely um, and he was a great cook he used to his his speciality was uh, tagliatelle carbonara and he used to make that which in the 70s and properly as well it was really nice yeah pretty exo- um, exotic back then yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so um, and then I went on to do my first gigs with him I was a backing vocalist but I used to sing uh, the Ann Peebles song I Can't Stand the Rain I remember doing it at the Bridge House in Canning Town with him so yeah Big, big history with Steve Marriott. And then, of course, my dad uh, married Manon. And so Molly is my stepsister. So, and, uh, yeah, and I only discovered the small faces link recently around because this was them like reuniting, coming back and then doing one last studio album, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, if people want to try and dig it out, it's the album 78 in the shade. Um, and it's the original lineup reunited in the 70s, which is, which is exactly. wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, I first discovered your music like a lot of people would have been the huge smash hit Stop in the yeah. tail end of the 80s, um, which I imagine change your life beyond recognition in terms of um, that kind of fame and the attention was that something you liked at the time or was it like actually this is all a bit terrifying it was a fantastic experience um and but an experience that had very little to actually do with music so uh, music for me was uh, I, I started writing on my own at home because my parents were away 
most of the time, to be fair. And I just sit at the piano and I just, that was, I love doing it. Um, and interestingly, you said earlier about I wasn't able to escape the music world. But the fact is, is that music allowed me to escape the world. And I think that is still what I love about it is music takes you to a completely different place, whatever you're doing. So, but basically I'd been working and writing songs since for a good few years uh, when I signed my record deal. So I signed my record deal in 1985. Um, I'd already bought my own flat. So I had, and I didn't really have any aspirations to be famous. I, as far as I could see, it was just awful. Um, however, as a songwriter, that was the road. You know, the road was to get a record deal and make an album. And I would have been a fool if I hadn't thought that that wouldn't involve reams of promotion and photo sessions. Um, and I did it solidly for three years with Stop. Um, and I learned a lot from it. I learned that in order to get your music out there, at whatever level, you have to let people know it's there. It wasn't great initially because, you know, I wasn't a person to put makeup on every day and I wasn't a person to maintain a kind of image, if you like. So I got there and they were like, oh God, look at you. What are we going to do with you? It's kind of that <laughs> kind of thing, you know, oh God, you, you can't wear that love you know so it was a bit like that and so I kind of was slightly dragged into it a bit so I don't think I really ever looked the part uh because I really couldn't be asked you know it was about the music for me but I just learned so much I learned a lot about presenting yourself I learned a lot about although you will you'll say yeah I don't think so because I'm waffling on like mad now but I did learn how to communicate with with people and communicate with you know like this this is an this is a road into a bigger world for me isn't it there'll be people listening hello um, <laughs> who don't know me and haven't spoken to me and so this is an opportunity for me to present myself as I as I as I am I suppose yeah. but of course you can't present the you that's in the pub getting pissed and swearing like mad. You've got to present the you that's kind of makes music and try and find a little bit of a, you know, on yeah. the ground with people. So I learned that. And I think that was valuable. I think that was really valuable. They're all people in uh, journalists of people, photographers of people, television presenters of people. Um, I don't have an awful lot of respect for the making yourself look right and saying the right things. I don't police myself. Try not to swear because I know some people don't like it, but sometimes a fuck will slip out. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's so, yeah, it was interesting. I couldn't wait to get back to actually play music uh, at the end of the big promotional thing with Stop. But I suppose the biggest thing that I took away from it is it is a part of doing music. It's a part of the whole thing. And as I've got older, I've realized that, you know, you need to market yourself. You need to know who you are. You need to know what you want to wear. You need to know how you want to sound. You need to know what genre you fit into. And those are things that most musicians and songwriters go, well, I don't fit into anything. You can't pigeonhole me, which is what I was like. But actually, it's good to because then when people are looking for music, they can find you, you know. Because you do see some of the new artists coming through and you feel like they've got that They've got their shit together on. People like Billie Eilish immediately sign this oh, to mind for me. You're like, knows exactly what she wants to be doing. Yeah. It's got that vision and, and she's doing it her way, you feel. Very much a different world for women, though, I have to say, Dan. I mean, I that was not available to me. You know, getting a record deal was probably the best I could hope for. And being told to wear a short skirt to go and visit the BBC radio producers. That was, you know, yeah. it was like that. It was a very misogynist world. So, which I don't think it is now. Well, if it, if the bits that are, I think young women are, I mean, my daughter's 27. I, I would not mess with her. I would not mess with her. 
And she's the sweetest, most beautiful looking thing. You just wouldn't think it. But she'll just turn around and say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. I want to do it like this. And yeah. I love that about the world now. Well, we should talk about this this powerhouse of a voice that was there presumably from a very young age because it's not just the, I mean, the songs are wonderful, the lyrics, and we'll talk about that in a sec too, but man alive, where did that voice come from? Was that there from as, as far back as you can remember? I, I just have no idea. I mean, I, you know, my, well, my mum was a fantastic singer and my dad would disagree, but he's actually a really good singer because he thinks, you know, he's, he uses his voice very well. Unfortunately, he's, he's, um, having slight problems with it at the moment, but he, but you know, both of them are great. The volume, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea where it came from. I think maybe just because I, I sang from very early on and I learned to sing. I think I learned to sing by singing along to records. So, you know, so all the people I mentioned before, I would sing along to those records. I would get the phrasing exactly. And that includes a really diverse range of people. So Kate Bush is very different to Randy Newman, is very different to Aretha Franklin, is very different to Quincy Jones. So they're all, and I would just, so I would sing along and I had record player in my room, which Steve Marriott gave me, funnily enough, <laughs> in my bedroom. And I would just sing along and I don't know, anyone else do this? I suspect, yes, read the lyrics and sing along and look at the artwork. And that's how I learned to sing. Yeah, I didn't sound anything like you when I did that. I, have to be honest with you. Um, I would encourage people to really dig into your back catalogue. And um, there's a lovely, unique thing that, that came about, which I know you didn't were, were completely unaware of as well. But the album Stop, April Moon, 43 Minutes, Box Reboot of the Moment. Wow, 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 wow. When did somebody point out to you that actually the, um, the first initial of the uh, album spells out Sam Brown? Well, <laughs> what, it, it, what would do if we continue? Yeah. I actually can't remember. I can't remember when it was but i know that the next the album that i was on was an o so the, so it would have been around the reboot time so but yeah i had absolutely no idea i mean strictly speaking i suppose it's not true because you've got 43 minutes but that you know it it's yeah. fascinating <laughs> it's brilliant that's fascinating say. i'm on the end now i've got to the end yes so wednesday the something of april is the live lp which was released uh, during lockdown um so yeah. that was something you've been beaming away on and there's there's more to come yeah definitely yeah we recorded the album in 2004 and that's actually about how long it takes me to get around to things <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. okay so we look forward to the next one in another let's see when's that yeah seven or eight years actually i've written the next one and wow. i have entailed the use of melodyne which if you don't know what it is it's a fabulous auto-tune program because i can't sing sing very little now i could sing a bit but i certainly can't sing like i used to so it'll be very different but I've written it. it's an electronica album oh wow yeah and uh, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be called yet not like it was probably or oh wow I'm really excited about new new stuff it's really oh wow yeah that's yeah. so exciting because the first time I saw you live and I imagine quite a few people um, would have experienced this too would have been with Jules Holland the Rhythm and Blues Big Band it's Orchestra awkward. yeah it was always a real highlight those gigs were always incredible it was like a proper proper party that you were going to when you'd pop up and do your bits like Valentine Moon wow I mean god they were so special and the uh, same for when you were on Jules TV and Pooter Nanny and things like that yeah. working with him must have been really special as I said before I say what I feel I am not lying and this is in no way a PR exercise but Jules absolutely changed my life he's a really good friend and I started working with him 
gosh, it was it was the do you remember a thing called the happening? It was like it was a, a similar thing to later, but it was right. a predecessor to it. And they did a pilot, which is something that I did. It must have been around. 92 because it was quite shortly after my mum had died I think and um, but it was the first time I'd actually worked on the road with people who saw me as as a woman I know that sounds a bit mad but up till then I'd always worked with my brothers and with blokes and I had no concept of myself as a uh, sensual female being and all of a sudden there's all these blokes who just love me to bits, you know, and Jules, we get on really well and we have very similar tastes in art and, you know, the retro stuff and all that kind of thing. And what it did was it really enriched that side of my life to sort of, if you like, for want of a better word, the arty side of my life, the artistic side of my life, not in music, but in the way you are, in the things you like, the things you do. And I realized that I had built this world around me with all this, these bits and pieces, mostly sort of retro stuff. So I've always liked 40s and 50s stuff, but I'd never really attached it to anything, to a way of thinking, or I'd never really given it much thought. But with Jules, he has such a hunger for art and creativity and culture. And all these little pieces of a jigsaw sort of fell into place. And he'd reference films and he'd, like I'd never seen Jean Cocteau films before. And I watched, I watched, I loved watching old mad French films. And, uh, you know, I'd go to La Scala in uh, King's Cross and I'd, I liked all the old films. I mean, but I didn't really know much about them. I, you know, put it this way, our newspapers, newspapers at our home were the sun, the beano and the dandy. Um, <laughs> so that gives you clues to how interested my dad was in the outside world, which was not at all. You know, he had his work. That's what he did. So for me, all of a sudden, this whole world opened up. And I think for him, he kind of found someone who sang in a way that kind of fitted the bill. But I was kind of wearing these 90s. He's going, oh, I love that. You know, where'd you get that? And I got saw this and blah, blah, blah. So we just got on really well and it changed my life and it gave me a huge amount of confidence in who, who I was, you know. So it was sort of the beginning of a massive part of my life. It, really important to me. I'm guessing that it was George Holland and, and that show maybe that was your first connection with Paul Weller because he was always on that show. I mean, we had Dave Swift was on the podcast a few weeks back and um, and talking about the Weller connections there as well. But um, would it have been through that that you first met Paul? Oh, gosh. Now you're asking. I, I was thinking of this because I kind of knew you'd ask. And the truth is, I can't remember when I first met him. But I know that one of the first times I met him was, yes, on a Jules gig. And it was at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. And Eddie Reader was on the gig. And it must have been a Christmassy thing because she had the most incredible outfit on, which was a sort of a, a negligee with fairy lights sewn into it underneath. So she kind of started up her battery pack and boom, you know, she was like <laughs> a Christmas tree. And she's just such a fantastic person. So she was there. And I remember... Going down to sound check, eating a pear, Paul looked across at me and said, nice pear. <laughs> and off he went. And I think they were the first words he ever said to me. And I suspect, yeah, that was that was one of the first times I met him. And then after I'd finished, uh, I think it did night time is the right time that night. I can't remember who I sang it with. I can't remember who else was on the gig. It was one of those big things where there were loads of artists involved. But yeah, so that was probably the first time I met him. And I don't ask me what year because I have absolutely no idea whatsoever. And there was the first time you played with him would have been the Ronnie Lane tribute. 
Nine, I'm guessing. Would that be right? Actually, no, not at all. No, because, of course, through Jules, we uh, recorded Will It Go Round in Circles. So I did all the backing vocals on that with, I can't remember who else did it. Louise, maybe. I can't remember. So, yeah, so we did the BVs for him on that and a couple of other things. So I met him on a few... Jules gigs. It's also possible I met him on other charity gigs, but I can't. I did quite used to do a lot of charity gigs, so I can't remember. You know, they had a big super group, and yes, so yeah. I was. I, I did the backing vocals on a lot of those, so I might have met him then. But yeah, that I do remember that gig, and uh, that is when we kind of first clocked each other. I think, yeah. And the two of you, I mean, properly like duetting on um, a song I hadn't heard of before, actually, "Spiritual Babe," which I think is only on like a live LP of, of Ronnie Lane's. Right. Um, so Paul plays the poacher as well on that gig, which which was just brilliant. And and there's you and he. And then um, Ronnie Wood comes along. You're singing Ooh La La at the end as well. Oh, that was a lovely gig. Brilliant. What can you remember about that night? I remember being introduced. uh, They cut a song out and hearing it over the tannoy backstage uh, whilst having a wee. Um, And I can tell you that it's a long way from the toilets to the stage. Um, And I think they announced me and I just wasn't there. Because I was having a wee. Yeah, and I remember that. And I always remember that I wished somebody had said to me, you should wear a bra with that top. That's what they're the two things I remember really well about that gig. Um, apart from obviously duetting with Paul Weller and what was Pete Townsend on that gig? I think Maybe. he might have been. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an amazing gig. And I did some uh, Charlie Hart, I know through, I used to work with Chris Jagger. So I know him through that. But no, it was just lovely. Really yeah. lovely. The videos are on YouTube, although um, not they high are. definition, but worth but worth watching. But there's a bit where so Paul and Ronnie are kind of round one microphone and you're on the other for the Ula La song. A couple of Can Can dancers pop up because I think it's referenced in the, in the lyrics, the Can Can, which is a bit random on the side I, of the stage. I, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit strange, but it really looks like Paul and um, Ronnie Wood are, are like completely in love with each other. It's really funny. Uh, I'm sure they are. I mean, they probably know each other a lot better than I know either of them, to be fair. Yeah, no, it was a lovely gig. It was a really lovely gig. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was yeah. really good. Worth digging out, and I'll share that in the, the show notes of the podcast. Um, I'm going to fast forward to an album that was released in 2004, Studio 150. So this was Paul's covers album, and he and he really dug out some really interesting songs like Close to You and Early Morning Rain and his version of Wishing on a Star. You're on the final two tracks on the album, All Along the Watchtower, which was the um, Dylan song, Hendrix. Most yeah. famously done, probably. Yeah. Um, and Birds, the Neil Young song. Did you get to go to Studio 150? Did you get to go to Amsterdam with the guys? No. Oh. I don't think so. Do you know? I can't remember. It's really <laughs> terrible. I, I can't remember where it was. I remember the session because Carleen Anderson was on it. And she's just such an amazing... It is Carleen Anderson, isn't it? Yeah, it was Carleen. Yeah. 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 And Claudia Fontaine as well. Claudia, yeah, who very sadly died. Yeah. Yeah. So I really remember the session one and I loved, I mean, just the music was fantastic. The tracks were great and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't actually remember where it was. I know that's really bad, but I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. I've I've heard, I think the sessions in Amsterdam are pretty messy. So if you avoided that, that's probably probably a good thing. I I can imagine. (laughs) I'd like to point out to your listeners at this point, Dan, that I can't remember because there was a lot going on, not because of any anything else i mean i like a drink but um, i'm not I've, I've never smoked or taken any drugs or anything but uh yeah it's not it wasn't like this kind of like everyone's rolling around out of it well i don't know about studio thingy but uh the, this session wasn't it was you down were just to busy work. with about 12 different careers rotating around something like, like that yeah. something like that yeah yeah i mean those are two very special songs aren't they anyway but oh they're fantastic what, yeah do you remember anything about what kind of pull any direction or anything you had in his head how far the songs were along when you you became involved recording is just 
the most amazing ex- I love recording and Paul obviously has done a lot of it and he knew exactly what he wanted um, and he knew the sound he wanted and he booked the right people to get the sound that he wanted so it went very well and I think there would have been a couple of bits of you know direction this is what I want and that's it it's as simple as that really and I think quite often when you get the right people doing your sessions you, it just kind of comes together some things don't work some things do but no it was I think he knew what sound he wanted and, and we were it if you know what I mean it would take me all the whole of this podcast to list the people that you've worked with some amazing people from Dex's and Stand Up Valley to Tina Turner to Gary Moore Chris Farlow Tom Jones George Harrison Pink Floyd and you played Nebworth with Pink Floyd Dave Gilmore David Gilmore asked me to do the Momentary Lapse of Reason tour I think it was so basically I turned them down three times before I actually got to tour with them Dave was really brilliant when I was younger really encouraged me and he was he, he was very kind and he gave me a couple of days studio time and kind of came in and you know so he was he was great he He's very kind. What was the question? Uh, well, I'm, not sure. I'm not even sure I asked the question. I can't remember that. But, you know, how does Paul differ to some of those, I mean, proper icons of music? People like Tina Turner, for Christ's sake. I mean, these are proper stars, aren't they? Paul is, uh, and socially as well, when I've met him socially, because I've never, I haven't met him socially a lot. But he's a quiet person, you know. He's quiet and he knows what he wants and he doesn't really say anything unless he means it as far as I can tell that's the sort of person he seems um, and that is always a great person to work with very easy but you you want people to know what they want and if people know what they want it goes very well and and it's easy uh, but equally I do remember there was some creativity i.e. the harmonies and you might say yeah, it might be good if we put an octave on at that point you know quite high octave sort of thing and you go yeah or no I don't think it needs it he was great to work with really good to work with very quiet and and uh, unassuming but what is it about the because I mean your dad's a great connection in terms of longevity when you talk about this kind of drive to just want to continue making music in yourself as well but yeah Paul here we are in an, an, another number one album in, in his, his sixth decade of number one albums I think it is Um, wow I think if you like been out of the music world for some time now well, since 2007, um, I've just recently started writing again and recording again. I've had uh, the opportunities presented itself for me to compare the two worlds. And I obviously, I always knew I was very lucky, but I don't think I realized how lucky I was because yes, I think I was a good singer and I'm a good writer, but the feeling that you get from being able to actually just being driven to, if you like, to pursue that, you know, I mean, when I started uh, working, I moved into London when I was 17. I had two jobs. I was a cleaner and I did waitressing and I did sessions when they came up and I worked really hard and I loved it, you know, because I could sing and because singing with people and doing all these different things is the most amazing thing to do. And I, don't think that money drives people. I think the experience drives people and the joy of being able to have an idea and make it into a song and then making that song like an artist makes a picture, you know, and putting all the different colors in and the depth and the feel of it. Is it going to be very delicate? Is it going to like really make people feel it in their gut? You know, what's, what's it going to be? And I think that is what drives people. I think 
people are driven because it's an incredible thing to do. I should add in this world where, you know, we're having sort of art in all its forms ripped away from us in schools and what, what have you. I think it's up there. I think music is, it's an art form and we need it. Humans need it. We'll just turn into these kind of, you know, blank automatons if we don't have that stuff in our lives. Well, and what would we have done in lockdown over the past kind of 18 months? Oh, God. Without, without yeah. music, right? I mean. Yeah. And how many shit homemade albums are going to be coming out in the next six months? <laughs> mine is on the way. Mine is on the way. <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> I've got no talent whatsoever, but at least you have. Uh, homespun is something I wanted to talk to you about because I, I saw you live in, in a little village hall in Cranley in Surrey um, back yeah. in the day. And this was um, David Rotheray, who was on a break from the beautiful South at the time. I think he took, they'd taken like a, a, some time off. Um, so he's away from touring recording and, and starts writing these songs that works with you in terms of bringing them to life and this band's formed Homespun which there are three albums which I have to tell you guys honestly you have to dig into these albums (laughs) Homespun Effortless Call and Short Stories from East Yorkshire and these songs that in the same way as Beautiful South have these kind of quirky intelligent clever funny witty lyrics a lot of the Homespun stuff is like very much the same things like a song called If We're So Happy but when you dig into it it's If We're So Happy Why Are We Drinking So Much Um, (laughs) or just a brilliant brilliant project I loved it Um, that must have been such fun to work on it was. It was brilliant. So a uh, guy, a uh, trumpeter and keyboard player called Tony Robinson. Oh, well, he didn't introduce me to Dave. I think he suggested me to Dave Rotheray. And it's interesting, isn't it? When people think of the beautiful South, they think of Paul Heaton, which is fine. And he's a very talented chap and a great singer. But David Rotheray writes the most beautiful songs. He's fantastic. And he, uh, you know, it was very, really, I just went in as a singer, to be fair, Dan. And But the songs, he knew what he wanted. And it was very, you know, I think at that point I'd been singing with Jules and everything was loud. And that's how people see me. They see me with this big voice, but so much of what I do isn't loud. And so I'd kind of, I didn't really want to do it if it was going to be a load of shouting. (laughs) (laughs) I love shouting, you know, but, and so all that happened was Dave phoned me up and he's a very gentle man, um, very funny, likes pint. And I got on the train, I went up to Hull, Hull, and, uh, and we had a day in the studio. It didn't take more than two days to do the whole album, I don't wow. think. Wow. I can't remember if I went once and then went back or if I went once and we decided it worked and then went back again. I can't remember. But basically, I went up to sing a few songs and it was just lovely, lovely, lovely people, very unshowbiz, which I like. And we just had a laugh and sang songs. He sang them to me, played me the melody. I sang them and that was that. It was as easy as that. And then we went off on tour and that was fun and everyone was nice and we had a drink. And, you know, it's a lovely, lovely thing to do. And as you say, great albums because they're great songs, mm. basically. Yeah, it's such a beautiful sound. I really, I really love that stuff. I, I think my favourite is the one that goes Because We Were Young. Yeah. Because we were young. Uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately young. Unfortunately yeah. young. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's something. I so love will come around. You are here. My sorrows learn to swim. Just a lovely, lovely sound and lovely project. But, and it was during that time that, and I hope you don't mind me asking about your voice because you, you mentioned earlier on, but it was that uh, gearing up for the next tour of that where you were having problems with your voice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the problem started in the middle of 2006. And I remember doing a corporate gig in London, right next to Tower Bridge, it was. And I went to hit a note. And it just kind of came in underneath the note, which is unusual for me. And I was having to push it up. And then I noticed over the next few gigs, it was the same. I was also in the middle of a divorce and about to have a 
a nervous breakdown or in the middle of or start whatever. Uh, so it wasn't a great time for me. And uh, it just got worse. It just got worse and worse. And I booked, what I did was I left Jules and I booked in to do a tour with my dad because I knew it would be a very different kind of singing. So uh, I did that and it got worse through that. And it just, and then so at the beginning of 2007, I was supposed to go on tour with Homespun and we did a couple of dates and it was apparent that I just, there was no way I could do it. So we had to cancel it. And that, so, and that, and that was that. And I then went on to have an operation, which to remove some polyps, uh, later on in the year in 2007. And then I put a tour in of my own, my one woman show, did a couple of dates, couldn't do it, had to cancel it. So yeah, so that, that's how long the the issues have lasted. And I don't know what it is. You know, people obviously, you know how it is when there's something wrong. People want to fix it for you. Um, but it's not nodules. It's not polyps. I did a lot of, I mean, with stop and with, Pink Floyd I hadn't done any voice training and I can really hear that but I after that after 1995 I was really disciplined about voice training really disciplined and I loved it and it enabled my voice to really come into its own you know so I I loved it so there was no reason for me not to do it so yeah I don't I don't know what it is I still don't know what it is I think it might be partly hormonal it might be partly psychological I don't know I don't know how you fix psychological because of course it's all very well saying it's all in your mind (laughs) but you can't go oh oh okay it's all in my mind oh I'll just sing then shall I but so much of the delivery of your songs is is in confidence as well isn't it because you to, uh, yeah, absolutely. You have yeah. to know that you're going to hit those those incredible yeah. notes. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. Wow. As, so the new stuff is, uh, if I'm in a low register, I can make it work, but I do have to usually. So it's random as well. So don't really. It's not. It's not like one way all the time. It changes. Some days it's better than others. So I might do something, and people say, "Well, you could do that. You could do that on a gig." I'm like, "Yeah, but I can't because I can't rely on it." You know. So I've accepted it. It's been a long time now. 14 years, 14 years. But of course, it's led me into the wonderful world of ukulele. I was going to get onto this. So there's a lovely little EP that I've got, which is a thing called Ukulele and Voice, which was just you and five songs. It was just yeah, really stripped back, but literally you, your voice and your ukulele. Uh, really yeah. simple um, and, and recorded at your dad's house, I think. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah, my dad's old house, yeah. And it's brilliant. But that's that then gives us a hint of what's to come with the International Ukulele Club of Sonning Common which was the original, right? So, I can see you reading that, Dan. I, I, can see it, I, read it. I wrote it down because I know I'm going to cock that up otherwise. Um, uh, but this was just you in your front room teaching some mates how to play ukulele that then just exploded into this, <laughs> this huge thing. Well, I know. Well, the, the name was a joke because there were like seven people and it was like, this is never going to go anywhere, you know. But we had a gig, so it had to have a name. Drunk in the kitchen one night, that was what we came up with and I've regretted it ever since. Although I haven't regretted it because the people in that club are now my dear friends and we've had a lot of fun together. I still, I know I'm reasonably good at the ukulele, but I'm not brilliant at it. I I think I've just got a good sort of all-round feel for music, so it kind of works. And I think the people who come to me don't just learn about ukulele they get filthy stories they get nights out on the piss they get you know so that we we have a lot of fun Uh, but there's a lot of clubs now i mean i mean through lockdown i've taught eight clubs every week through the whole year online obviously you know Wow. I love it. And I, well, the, the ukulele and voice EP, actually, I'm really proud of because I think uh, to me, when I listen to that now, I can really hear that my voice is really good. It's mm. the singing is really good on it. And I'd reached a point where, uh, you know, I was so happy 
singing was just an absolute joy because before I did voice training for all you uh, would be singers out there it was always a stress it was a worry is my voice going to last is you know is it going to am I going to lose my voice am I going to get that note but when you do voice training and you do it properly it, the, you know the world is your lobster as they say <laughs> now we kick this off with this love of the jam and you as a punk and I don't think the punk's ever gone away from what I can no. work out really it's as much as well as a mod as well you know it's like it's, it's within you it's part of your DNA I think um, what have you made of Paul's career since those jam days well I think he has made a genre from perhaps the 60s and 70s he's really made it his own and tailored it to himself he's a fantastically talented person he really is and he's got such a great feel and that's the I think that is the for me if I'm talking about Paul Weller the defining thing about him as a musical person is his feel is the ability to pick up a guitar and lay down a feel and that is it you know and all the great people Steve Marriott Pete Townsend David Gilmore, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck. It's not just about what they're playing technically. It's about it being concrete. You know, it, they make music tangible. They make it solid and they make you feel it. So if you're in a room with someone like that and they play you a song, you're totally there with them, aren't you? That for me, I don't know what you would call that. I, I don't think it's charisma. I think it's a natural musicality that not everyone has. And I think he's got that and he has explored it in every way he can. And that's what artists do, isn't it? And, you know, they use the gift that they have and they do everything they possibly can with it. And, uh, and I have absolute respect and admiration for that. Hey, look, I thank you so much for your time. I have two final questions before you go, Sam, if that's all right. Um, you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the jam, the style council or solo. Which one are you going to go with? <sighs> okay. Going underground. Ah, why that one? It takes me back to being 15, 16 and, you know, black leather coats and old big old things from a charity shop. And uh, it's just a time in my life. But equally, I, I love Paul. I will it go round in circles. I just love. I think it's a great soul, rock soul track. Brilliant. Final question. The purpose of this podcast is not least to talk to brilliant people like yourself, but it's also to get that interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. If it happens, what should I ask him? Is there anything you'd like to know or anything you think I should talk to him about? Oh, that's a good question. Have you not had an interview with him yet? No, not yet. No. Well, I think the question is, why haven't you done an interview with me yet? <laughs> I think that's actually a really good question because a lot of interviews, people fall back on kind of stuff that's been done before. So I think you want to find out, you know, maybe what it is, is a question like what made you start playing music? But, you know, that'll be a question he's asked a lot. So can you find the way of saying it that actually finds that moment? Do you see, do you understand what I mean? I, no, I totally understand what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about getting something unique out of the conversation. Yeah. I don't know what it would be, but I'm sure you've asked some lovely questions today and you've made me remember things that I'd completely forgotten about. So I'm absolutely sure, you know, that you'll find something. Maybe what about, um, did he meet Steve Marriott? Did he ever meet him? Yeah. I don't know the answers for that. You're right. I've no idea. Yeah. Cause Steve Marriott was a big influence on him, isn't he? Hey, Sam, this has been so lovely. I've loved every second of it. Thank you. I for... have as well. And thank you. Oh, bless you. Well, thank you for letting me gate crash your home studio stroke um, <laughs> lad's room at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> and so good nice. luck with the kids in the summer holidays. Oh, bless you. We need it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you probably do, actually. <laughs> I think and everyone I does. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to hear the new material. Do we have an, well, we don't have an idea in terms of when it's going to arrive, but when it does, it'll be a lovely surprise. Yeah, it'll be soon. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was brilliant. My thanks once again to Sam Brown. What an honour to spend time in her company. You can find out more on her website, MissSamBrown.com, and dig into my show notes for links to some of the songs and videos that we talked about. And wow, what an exclusive. A new album on the way as well. Next up on the podcast, a man who played live with the Style Council and live and on record with Paul Weller solo, the saxophonist and flute player Jacko Peak. We hear about those early days of the Paul Weller solo career, the movement, Wildwood, and lots of touch points since then too. And that fantastic return to the band last summer. Make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. It really does help us to find new listeners. And please do share on your social media channels. Hey, you can even buy me a coffee as well. Find all the information about my guests in the show notes. Get in touch on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.